Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. Many of you know of my great love for Sock Religious. During the month of January, on January 28th, we celebrate the memorial of St. Thomas Aquinas, who is one of the greatest thinkers in all of Catholicism. He gave us a multi-volume Summa Theologiae, which has been used by academic theologians for years. He gave us the five proofs of God's existence. He wrote the hymns for Corpus Christi. And now you can honor St. Thomas Aquinas on your feet because sock religious have a wonderful sock of St. Thomas Aquinas. On the bottom of the foot, it says, Non nisi te domine. Nothing but you, Lord, recalling that prayerful moment St. Thomas Aquinas had before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. I hope you'll head over to Sock Religious by using the link in the show notes and get your pair of St. Thomas Aquinas socks so you can celebrate his feast day in style. Now on with today's show. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. And today, I'm very happy to be speaking with Meg Hunter-Kilmer. She is someone that I've been following for a long time on social media. I think I was first introduced to her through the Jen Fulweiler show. And back in the day when Jen Fulweiler was on SiriusXM's The Catholic Channel, uh, introduced me to a lot of different people like Liv Harrison. And I know that you were a guest on there as well. And uh, so it's been great just to be able to talk to all these different people that I've been following, seeing their content for years, especially through this platform on my podcast here on How They Love Mary. Now, interesting, over the summer, I got this random letter in the mail. It was a card. It had a note in it. And it was, I, I believe, probably from someone from Catholic Twitter. And they wrote a nice note encouraging me as a priest and everything like that, especially during the pandemic. I think that was kind of the the reason for the card and the note. But enclosed inside was an article that Meg wrote, and it was about something with like praying for priests, or it was 10 or 15 different points that you had listed, and that person included it. So I actually put it on my refrigerator, and it's still there, and uh, a simple reminder, and so I see your name and your writing uh, most often when I go to the fridge uh, for, for something to eat or to drink or whatever the case might be. So now, happy to be speaking with you today. And I want to speak with you about the saints, which is your passion. So Mary is one of the greatest saints. She is the queen of all saints. And to the show now, I welcome you, Meg. Father, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. You know, um, I, I think I know the column that you're talking about. And I actually had a really interesting experience. I met a woman and she was like, hey, I want you to know that I basically became Catholic because of one of the articles you wrote. And I was like, oh, like the apologetics or, you know, all these things. She was like, no, it was a letter thanking priests. And I just became so profoundly aware of the gift of the sacramental priesthood and the need for authentic sacraments. And she like left her job in ministry and like had to move back home with her parents because she was unemployed so that she could become Catholic. And I was like, I just love the way that God is like, oh, I'm going to use you but I'm not going to use you the way that you think I'm going to use you. Like I'm going to let your life bear fruit, but it's never going to be the way that you think it will. 
Yeah, that was exactly the letter, the thank you to the priests. And, you know, as we begin our conversation today about the saints, well, there are lots of saintly priests that we can look to. And uh, especially today in this day and age uh, among the clergy, I think it's so important to look to these saintly priests. And for me, I I love reading the homilies of some of the saints. Uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux happens to be Uh one of my favorites. And uh, just his Mariology, I'm a Marian theologian, and so I just love St. Bernard's writings on Mary, but I, I have all of his homilies for all the seasons put out by uh, Cistercian publications, and I do make my way through them, and I am enriched by them as a priest uh, listening to the preaching of this saintly man. So, so many other saints out there, and maybe uh, we can get to a few saintly priests as well. But one of the most interesting things before we talk about the saints is just kind of the, the little name that you've become known as. You're called the Hobo for Christ. And so, could you just share what the Hobo for Christ means or is all about? Yeah, so I am a missionary. I live out of my car. I don't have a house or an apartment or a storage locker. Um, drive all around the country, fly around the world, telling people how much God loves them. So I've been doing that for eight and a half years, 50 states, 25 countries. It is much more complicated in a pandemic. Uh, but there's also really no other options. So here we are. And you pretty much couch surf, is that right? Like you stay mm-hmm. at people's homes that you know, or you probably have built a vast network of people that are willing to welcome you into their home and happy to support you in this missionary work. Yeah, and a lot of strangers from the internet. Uh, so I spend a lot of time telling people don't live the way that I live, because uh, as a rule, it's not a great idea for a rando on Instagram to DM you and be like, live at my house, and for you to be like, okay. Um, But, you know, if the Lord gives you a call, then you go, even if it's uh, appallingly imprudent by many measures. Sure. And of course, you're going to continue to listen to what the Lord calls you to do. Mm -hmm. But do you think sometime he's going to call you away from this life as a hobo for Christ and into something more permanent? Yes. Um, I mean, I would never have chosen anything about my life. Um, I am not a bohemian kind of a person. I'm very type A. I like plans. I like stability. I like sitting on the front porch, making friends with my neighbors. Um, So yeah, I mean, (laughs) at every level, I hope that at some point I get to like have a, you know, a home and a family and a job maybe would be nice. Um, But also just like, I don't really see it being possible to be 75 years old and continue doing this. So I'm like totally cool with dying young. Um, But I think I would have a rough time continuing in this work for the next 40, 50 years. Sure. Now, you talk about having a job and getting a job and all that stuff afterwards, perhaps. One of the things, and I'm sure it's one of the ways that you're able to sustain yourself right now, is you do a lot of writing. And Mm -hmm. you do some writing for Althea, for example, or for other Catholic publications. And one of the constant themes of your writings have been the saints. And I guess my curiosity, of course, lots of different people have devotions to saints. You talk to some of the people that come to daily mass at my parish, they'll tell you who they're devoted to. I don't know so much about, you know, kind of the people that come on Sunday, kind of your average churchgoer, if they would be able to list their favorite saints, maybe they would say St. Anthony or St. Francis, Mm -hmm. some of the more popular ones. But, but of course you have a great interest in the saints and you write about obscure saints, for example. So how did this interest in the saints come about? You know, it's fairly recent. I mean, in the scheme of my life with Jesus. So my conversion was when I was 13. Um, and 
I was immediately obsessed with scripture and loved the Eucharist, became a daily communicant when I was a junior in high school, like was doing all of the things and checking all of the boxes. And the saints were something where I was like, oh, that is not blasphemy. That That is what I have to say about the saints. <laughs> that is not blasphemy. You know, a very apologetics approach, but I just, I couldn't understand the number of people I would hear who would say, well, when you can't go to Jesus, you can go to St. Therese. And I was like, that's not a thing. You never can't go to Jesus. Um, and I think just from the very beginning, I had a, a profound uh, understanding of just the complete lack of limitations there are on the love of Christ. Um, and also do not have a lot of trauma and don't have, you know, haven't really struggled with addiction. There are a lot of things in people's lives that make them feel ineligible for the love of God, that make them feel ineligible for holiness. And so probably five or six years ago, you know, having spent years being like, okay, the saints are fine. There are some cool stories. I finally heard the stories told well. And that is not something that we really do in the church right now as a rule. Like we, we list facts about a person. We don't tell the story, these captivating, life-changing, dramatic, emotional, intense, broken stories. And I heard a story told well, and I was like, oh, wow, I could see why that would really matter to somebody. And so I started to do research into the saints and just realize that one of the really powerful things the saints can do is they can describe a person's brokenness and suffering and the thing that they think makes them ineligible for the love of God. And they can label that as a lie, you know, like, mm. and, and you know, in evangelization, one of the most important things is to be able to name somebody's real suffering and brokenness and say, Jesus loves you in this. And I think that's what the saints, when they're, when their stories are really well told and not whitewashed, that's what they tell us. You know, I talk to people who are dealing with addiction. And I'm like, great, here's St. Mark Chichan Chang, who was addicted to opium until the day that he died. You know, people who come from dysfunctional families. I'm like, St. Marguerite Bailly, her family was an absolute disaster. People who are in really difficult marriages. And I'm like, Cyprian and Daphros Rugamba, like look at the healing in their marriage. And just to see the hope in people's faces because they hear their brokenness and their struggle and sometimes their passions and their excitement with a halo on them. And they're like, oh, there is hope for me. I belong in this church. How do you think we can tell the stories of the saints well? I mean, I think a big part for me, I have to care. I have to figure out why I care about this saint. So there are saints that I just won't tell their stories because I haven't yet figured out the angle. Um, and a lot of times, you know, like St. Lorenzo Ruiz was somebody who for a long time I was like, I mean, he's Filipino, so that's cool because there's a lot of Filipino Catholics. Um, and I was complaining to a friend and I was like, what is there even to say about him? His life was totally out of control and then he died. And I was like, oh, that's what there is to say about him. His life was totally out of control. Sure, That's really consoling to encounter a saint whose life was totally out of control and to see, because, you know, with him, he was living a very ordinary, like, going to mass, praying the rosary, raising his kids, having a job kind of a life. And then he was accused of murder because of his race, and he ended up having to flee the country. And then he accidentally went to Japan where they were being persecuted. And, I mean, you can imagine sitting in this man's life and just being like, this is not fair. Like, I was doing the right 
things. I was a good man. I was taking my kids to mass. I was loving my wife. I was supporting my family. Like he loved Marian processions. He loved the rosary. And then all of a sudden his life is totally a, a disaster and it's not his fault. You know, and I think we've all been there when life just blows up in our face and we're like, what is even going on? But Lorenzo Ruiz ends up becoming a martyr because his life blew up and it wasn't his fault. You know, the only reason anybody in the world knows his name is because of these this out of control series of events that could have made him so bitter, that could have made him turn his back on God. But he chose to trust God in the middle of a life that was just devastating and that made him a saint, you know? And so to look at things like this and figure out what is it about this saint that speaks hope into our lives? And I'm a, a huge component, a proponent of refusing to whitewash the lives of the saints because I think we need to hear about their brokenness and their suffering and their doubts, you know? Like there are so few saints who we will we're comfortable talking about their experiences of doubt and darkness and faith, but it's a pretty universal experience. And so I think talking about that gives people hope that the fact that you haven't felt anything in prayer in 20 years just puts you in good company. You know, like that that's part of the, the process of holiness. I think that there are different saints for us during different seasons of life. And we find that maybe at a certain time, my devotion to a certain saint was more powerful than kind of taken a back burner. Maybe I have a statue of them or I still have mm -hmm. their medal or whatever, but maybe they're not there in my devotional life anymore. But then a new saint enters in and that's the saint for you right now. You know, when my mother was... Uh, still alive. She she was diabetic uh, and she was going to have her leg amputated. I read the story of Solanus Casey and one of the reasons I was doing it, he was going to be beatified. I'm a Marian theologian. I wanted to write on the devotion of Solanus Casey to Mary for the kind of, for the beatification, all of that. And so I bought this biography of him. I read it. I learned about him and it made an impression on me. It actually became a part of my spiritual life, some of his practices. And he was going to be an individual that needed to have his leg amputated. And then he ended up not. The next morning, the doctor said, well, we don't need to do that anymore. You've passed through the night. And so I looked to him and I said, he can be the intercessor for my mother right now. And mm -hmm. he would recommend to people, well, it, when they would come to him for prayer, well, read the mystical city of God. And, I w and so I read that. And I'm like, well, the mystical city of God is the life of Mary by Maria Bagrida. Okay. I'll read the mystical city of God. I'll ask Saint or blessed Solanus Casey's intercession. And then I will read that book. And so that's exactly what I did. And that began my devotion uh, to Saint or to blessed Solanus Casey, who introduced me to Venerable Maria of Agreda and all that thing, all that. So the saints introduced me to more saints and more mm -hmm. friends, for example. But I think too, then going back to this idea of different saints for seasons in your life with the pandemic. St. Rock is one I've been turning to. There's a chapel right down the road from my parish, two miles down the road, dedicated to St. Rock. It's a roadside chapel, custom of the area. So I've been frequenting there, praying for the people I know that are sick in the community from the virus. So that's a saint that enters into my life. But I sometimes see, and this is where I'm going with this, that like people on Twitter, for example, someone just tweeted this the other day. They said, 
you know, am I the only person that never fell in love with St. Therese of Lisieux? That everybody kind of mushes over St. Therese. Like, they love her so much. They gush. And, uh, but maybe for a certain person, St. Therese isn't their go-to saint. And they mm -hmm. can be okay with that. They didn't miss the boat. Um, so, um, what I guess, what do you say about the different seasons in life? And maybe not having the devotion to the the saints that might be popular you know and and i'm kind of a little bit of a hipster about this like i'm just not friends with popular saints and so <laughs> sometimes it's upsetting because i have a saint that i really love and then i do a really good job telling people about them and then they become popular and then i don't want to be friends with them anymore because <laughs> like carlo acutis i was like leading the charge for carlo acutis and now everybody loves him i'm like okay cool like you can go be friends with everybody else. Um, sure. So like, I totally, I totally get um, that feeling of like, am I missing out when there's a saint that everybody loves and you just, you just don't get it. But I think that we have to remember that the saints are people and it's okay that there are some people that we just like better than other people, you know? And I always, I think about it a lot from the other perspective, um, from the side of the saints and like St. Barnabas loved me. Father. He loves me so much. He really might not care that much about you. You know, I mean, like he loves you in the sense that he's in heaven and like we're all part of the mystical body of Christ, whatever. But like he's obsessed with me and I'm going to get to heaven and there's going to be a whole, I mean, like I'm probably going to have a lot of them because I'm a little bit much. Um, but there's going to be all these saints who are like waiting for me and then there are going to be others who are going to be like, oh my gosh, hi. You know, but who aren't going to be standing there waiting for me because, like, we're just not best friends. And I see my my sister has twins. Um, they're eight years old. And Mary Claire loves Blessed Marie Clementine and Marie Taninga Peta. Loves <laughs> Say that her. 10 times fast. <laughs> exactly. Um, so she's a, Cong a 20th century Congolese sister um, who ran away from home to become a sister and um, ended up being murdered when she refused uh, the advances of a colonel in the army. Uh, Mary Claire cannot explain why she loves this saint. She just loves her. And um, the other day it was her baptism anniversary and I was looking at whose feast day it was and I was like, Mary Claire, do you want to know whose, whose feast day is on your baptism anniversary? And her twin sister was baptized the same day, sitting right there. And I was like, Mary Claire, it's Blessed Marie Clementine. And she gasped and she covered her face and then she grabbed her heart and her twin looked at her and was like may claire she always loved you and like it was so beautiful Aww. to me because like they have there's no sense of competition in those relationships with the saints like here they have the same baptism anniversary and elizabeth is like that is your friend you know and like we're we're cordial but that is your friend and like she was the one, she was excited for you. And so just thinking about like the fact that this is a family and you're going to have certain relationships that are closer um, and even certain relationships that are contentious. Like it's okay if there are saints where you're like, oh, I am not, I have a hard time with that one. And sometimes it's just the way the stories are told. Like we have a lot of stories um, that do seem to glorify abuse and submitting to inappropriate treatment or, you know, who elevate, that elevate physical purity above, you know, the life of a person. And a lot of times it's, I think, just a problem with the way the story has been told, but it's, it's totally okay. If you look at a saint and you're like, you know what, good for you, but like, I can't, I can't 
be friends with you. I can't follow this model. You know, like that's, I think the more that you get to know the reality of the saints, the more you have certain saints where you're like, Rose of Lima, you're lovely. And I'm super glad that other people like you, <laughs> but it's just a little bit too self-harmy for me, you know, and, and that's okay. Sure. That's okay. Yeah, so there are these different saints that we get introduced to. And maybe, as you said, we find a saint. It might be obscure to other people, but that's the saint that really has chosen us from heaven. They've chosen us. We've fallen in love with their story, and they've become our intercessor and our friend. And how would you recommend to people to get to know the stories of the saints? Like, how do you befriend a saint? Yeah, I mean, I think it it can happen in different ways because— Sometimes it really is like you hear a story and the story appeals to you. And so you get to know the saint better. Sometimes like there's just a tug and you're not sure why. I mean, that's how my little Mary Claire is. Like she just saw a picture of Blessed Marie Clementine and she loved her. And that was, that was it. Like she's not particularly interested in her story. She just loves her as a person. I'm much more story driven. And so it's, it's much more about particularly um, seeing in a saint the way that God is is glorified in our brokenness um, and in our struggles and difficulties. But I have times, because I do a lot of saint matchmaking, um, and people will, you know, they'll be talking to me about their lives. And sometimes I'm like, oh, here's a saint who like matches point for point these things that you're talking about. And they're like, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden I'm like, and here's one who I'm just sort of thinking of. So we'll see what that means. And I tell them the story and I'll just, I'll see their faces light up. And sometimes they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't tell you this, but here are all of the reasons that one makes sense. And sometimes they're like, wow, I have no idea why, but I love him. And I'm like, okay, well, it's because he loves you. And like, it's not always about example and story. Like sometimes it's really just about like connection. You know, Um, if you're looking for a saint, like you're thinking, I really, I really just want to find a saint that I connect with your best approach is just to read a lot of saint stories. Um, and I, so my favorite books on the saints are modern saints by Anne ball comes in two volumes. Really anything by Anne ball is fantastic. Those are the two that are easiest to get a hold of. You can get them for like six bucks used um, or get them on Kindle. Cause then you can search inside the book. And that's really helpful. If you want to search mm. for like anxiety or whatever, she tells the stories really well. She's the first one the first story that I read that I was like, oh my gosh, wait, this could actually be transformative. Um, or I write a lot on the saints on Alatea. And so you can go, if you search for um, hashtag Saint Ninja on social media, you'll find a bunch of my saint stories or uh, hashtag a year with the saints. Um, you'll find a bunch of my saint stories. Just kind of like reading until you find somebody who you're like, oh, I want to know more about them. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes like, what you see in the story is literally all the information that we have about this person. Um, but then praying with them, you know, like learning what you can, but really just like asking them to pray for you, asking them to pray for a particular intercession or, you know, like I really love St. Leopold Mondich, um, who was a 20th century Capuchin priest. Um, he was from Croatia, but he lived most of his life in Italy. And what I love about him, his burning passion in life was basically to end the great schism he was like i want to reunite the east and the west i want to bring together these two lungs of the church and so became a a capuchin to do this work and he got sent to italy where there are no orthodox and he spent 15 hours a day in the confessional 
and four hours a night in prayer for the reunification of the church. And he just kept going back to his superior saying, this is really what I think God is calling me to do. I've made a vow that I'm going to do this work. Please, will you make it possible? And they're always like, hmm, go back to the confessional. And in obedience, he would go back to the confessional decades, Father, for decades. Finally, they sent him back east and the people of Padua, where he was living, found out, rioted, and they called him back. He spent a week, a week in Eastern Europe before he got called back to Italy. And he spent the rest of his life longing to do this work that the Lord never allowed him to do. And, you know, it's great to hear the stories of the saints who are like, she really wanted to do this thing and finally God let her do it. But I really love the ones who who just never had the desires of their hearts fulfilled, but still were able to be faithful. And so I spend a lot of time with St. Leopold Mondich, not like asking him to pray for anything, but just being like, oh, and him being like, yeah. And I'm like, but it's just, and he goes, no, I know. You know, like just sort of being in solidarity with them is such a blessing. If I'm not mistaken, isn't his right hand incorrupt from how many times he raised it? And I could be wrong. I don't wrong. know. It's not. I visited his body and it's, not, if it is, it's covered up. Okay. Not sure. on display. So I, I would guess that's probably somebody else. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, I hate to admit this. I've been to the alleged apparition site in Medjugorje twice, uh, many years ago, back in 2000. Five and 2008 so long long time ago anyways they have a, a saint statue i think of saint leopold and i was thinking maybe it was that one and and his uh they, they said he was the patron saint of confessors and that's why he's by uh the the confessionals there in medjugorje yeah. back in the day when i was there at least so yeah he and padre pio were the patrons of the year of mercy actually okay. I, I think pope francis had both of their bodies brought to rome for the year of mercy wow interesting now one of the things that i've noticed about wanting to get to know the saints sometimes like my curiosity gets the better of me about them and that came up because uh, I was doing these little, like I mentioned earlier, there are these roadside chapels where I live. The Belgian people erected these roadside chapels, and uh, they're dedicated to some of the popular saints, you know, Saint Anne maybe, or uh, Saint Peregrine, whatever. But there are some obscure ones, like Saint Gislaine or Saint whoever, right? And what I would do is when I would visit one, as I was doing this video series on social media, I would pray the litany uh, for the saints. So like I prayed the litany, for example, of St. Peregrine, and I learned that he was healed by the hand of the crucified Christ, for example. And I'm like, well, I want to know more about that. And so the St. Litany became a stepping stone. Like it told me something about the saint that I didn't know. And it's like, well, let me look this up. I want to read a book about him so I can understand what these lines really mean uh, in the St. Litany. So that was one way that I began to be introduced to some of the saints and their life was just by praying litanies, uh, asking their prayers at intercession. Yeah, that's really cool. For me, it's a lot of Googling. Um, I just kind of will think, huh, you know, like with your mother getting her leg amputated. I'm like, I wonder what saints there are with limb differences. And so then I just start Googling to find all of the saints with limb differences. And then I find one who I'm like, uh, like, do you know St. Albert Schmolowski? Uh I don't. I think I've heard the name, but I don't know anything about him. Okay, so he's, uh, you know, I was like, oh, cool. Like, he 
had his leg amputated. He had his leg amputated when he was a revolutionary soldier fighting against Russia and his leg was wounded and he was found by enemy soldiers. And they were like, we have to amputate your leg. We don't have any medication. He was, he's 18 year old kid. He said, do you have a, do you have a cigar? And they were like, yeah. And he was like, can I smoke that to distract myself? And he was like, okay. So he smokes a cigar to distract himself while they amputate his leg in like some random hut in the forest. And then they take him to a hospital and he escapes in a coffin and runs off to Paris where he becomes an impressionist painter for a while. And then he was hospitalized for depression for a period and then ultimately founded a Franciscan order. And St. John Paul II credits his example with being part of what motivated him to leave behind the life of art in order to pursue a life in the church. And you're like, why are we not talking about this man? Like, he's so cool. And like such a, such a beautiful image, I think, of like a masculinity that isn't dictated by the expectations of the world. That he was like, I'm going to be so hardcore. I smoke a cigar while you chop off my leg. And I'm also going to be a painter, you know, like, because I don't care. I don't care what your what your opinions are of, you know, my gingerbread houses or whatever. When we talk about the lives of the saints, as you're sharing these facts about them, sometimes we call this hagiography, the study of the saints. But sometimes there can be exaggerated hagiographies, right? Like some of the things that we say about the saints, maybe they didn't happen. How should we approach that? Like when we hear something, should we readily believe it? Should we approach it with suspicion? Like what's your opinion, I guess, on exaggerated hagiography? I tend to be rather skeptical um, as a rule. My, my question is generally, can I see that there may have been a point to God doing this? Right. So like if somebody raises the dead, I'm like, sure, absolutely. That is a thing that God does. If somebody raises a roast chicken from the dead, I'm kind of like, huh, that seems like a sort of a weird miracle for God to work. You know, like St. Christina the Astonishing, who flew up to the top of the roof because men smelled so bad. I'm like, maybe. Okay. But for me, it's it, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of looking at something and saying, that might be true, that might not be true. It certainly could be true because God can do whatever he wants, but it doesn't really make a difference. Uh, and I'm kind of the same way when people tell me about their the miracles they experience in life, you know, that they saw Mary and their grilled cheese sandwich. And I'm like, there's no reason for me to fight this because, like, it's not hurting anybody. So I, I do a lot of like, huh, maybe, with especially with the um, medieval saints because there's Yes. a lot that floats up around them. But my question really isn't ever, you know, like, can we verify this? My question is like, what's the point of this saint's life? How do they teach me to love Jesus better? And how do they teach me to be loved better? And most of the time, the miracles don't have an impact on that. And so like, I can sort of take them or leave them, but I don't worry too much about them because that's not really at the heart of the story. That's sort of the embellishment that may have rose, risen up around it. And if it's not true, it doesn't really make a difference because it doesn't change how holy they were. You know, one of the reasons why we're talking about the saints, this is the last podcast episode of How They Love Mary for the year 2020. It's going to be released right before New Year's. And, 
you know, one of the customs has been, I think, for some people is to choose a new saint for the year, to choose a saint and to ask for their prayers. Now, some people like Jen Fulweiler, for example, she created long ago the patron saint generator. And I I Googled it beforehand. And I just said, you know, like I, I looked for it, found it, clicked the link. I said, generate me a saint. I got St. Dunstan. So I'll look up St. Dunstan and uh, told me that he was like the patron saint of uh, lighthouse workers or something like that. And there were a few other different patronages that he had. So very interesting. I think she brings out some of the obscure saints and maybe this is just kind of a comical story. I remember being in the library at the seminary that I was studying at and one of the guys that was studying to be a priest, he is a priest now, and he had a devotion to every saint under the sun. Like, he knew everything. He was like you. He was eclectic. He wanted to know the stories of the saints. And so one day, I'm in the library. I'm, like, in the saint section, and I'm, like, giggling to myself. I found this story of a saint with an obscure name that he's never going to have heard of. So I take a picture of the book. I text it to him, and... By gosh, by golly, he knew that saint, someone who was so <laughs> obscure. So anyways, where I'm going with this is that, you know, I think we should choose a patron saint uh, for this next year, for 2021. And maybe to allow God to choose that saint for us, maybe we'll happen upon that saint. Some people say the saints stalk them, that like, there's mm -hmm. always this saint that's following me in my life. But St. Faustina, she had this custom of, you know, I think she even like put names of saints in, hat, in a hat or something like that. And people selected them in the convent and that was their patron saint for the year. If someone wants to find a patron saint for the year, how should they go about this? You know, I mean, I think there's kind of a lot of different ways of doing it. You can go ahead and click on Jen Fulweiler's saint generator um, or you know, like I, I used to do this with my students where they would pull one out of a hat and that was their patron saint for the school year. And I would actually give them an extra credit point on every single quiz if at the top they asked their saint to pray for them. Um, <laughs> was that, this is even before I was into the saints. I was just like, this is a cool thing. We'll do this. Um, I just would caution people not to be overly um, superstitious about it. I think it's totally okay if you click the saint generator and you're like, eh, to click it again, right? Like yeah. there's... There's nothing that's, you know, canonical about the authority of this random website. Um, and it's okay. Like, I think also sometimes we click it and we're like, uh-oh, this person got kidney stones. Like, I'm probably going to get kidney stones. Like, no, no, just because they're the patron saint of something doesn't mean that that's the specific thing that you're going to experience with them. But, you know, like, if you just want to pick one at random, like, grab a book and flip it open, maybe do some research into some of these different types of saints that you're interested in find somebody but then really try and get to know them through their writings or writings that we have about them or you know some of the saints we don't have a ton of information but even just like spending time with them um you know every day like let's say you pick there's a ton of amazing korean martyrs i love love the Korean martyrs. And most of them, we have one really good biography of them that's like 1,200 words long. And that's basically what's available to the English-speaking world. Maybe there's more in Korean, but that's it in English. But like, let's say that you get um, St. Magdalena Sansobyok, who's this beautiful Korean wife and mother. She had a daughter. She buried nine babies in a row. Oh. And then she had an 11th daughter who lived. Uh, and she was 
arrested for being a Christian. And it just would have been so easy, Father, for her to be like, I have done my time. Like, I have done my suffering. I have tried to live in hope. Like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. But she remained faithful. And she and her oldest daughter went to prison and they entrusted their children to her her oldest daughter, St. Barbara, had a a son. And St. Magdalena had a baby daughter. They entrusted their children to other people. And both of those women and their husbands were killed for Jesus. Beautiful, painful story full of just the concept of hoping in times of utter despair. You're not, if you pick her, you're not going to be able to read more about her every day, but you can every day say a prayer and say, pray for me that I would be able to have hope in times of despair. You know, like even just something simple like that to find the, the lesson that you think this saint is trying to teach you and to ask their intercession every day that you would learn that lesson well. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to get Thomas Aquinas and have enough reading material for the rest of your life. Like it can be someone simple. And I suppose you could choose a saint, you know, like St. Teresa of Avila, who wrote quite a bit. And maybe you're like, mm-hmm. I want to read something from St. Teresa of Avila this year. And maybe that's the reason why you choose a saint is because there is a corpus of writings and maybe there's something beneficial for you there. But yeah, there's a lot there uh, with the lives of the saints. And one of the things that I know is with the saints, and it's actually the very reason why I started the podcast, How They Love Mary, was because I realized that the saints, one of the common things was many of them, most of them, all of them were devoted all to the Blessed them. Mother in some way. And so basically when I was uh, writing, I, I had written about 10 different individuals uh, in academic circles and journals and things like that. And I realized, wow, all of these people taught me something about Marian devotion that I've somehow incorporated into my life. And and that was kind of the idea for the podcast was just not necessarily look at saints, but just to look at Marian devotion in the lives of so many different people. If a podcast episode isn't exclusively about Mary, well, at least at the very end, we can talk about their own devotion to Mary. And so that was one thing that I took away from the saints is how did they love Mary? And then I decided that, well, I want to incorporate just a little bit of that into my own life, whether it's, you know, the Angelus or if it's um, the Memorari, like St. Teresa of Calcutta uh, with the Emergency mm-hmm. Novena. So so the saints have so much to teach us if we allow them to become our friends, if we uh, ask for their prayers and intercession. And maybe as a, a way to close out talking about the saints, uh, for you, I guess, maybe two questions. The first would be, who did you choose for your confirmation saint? And do you still are you still devoted to them? And maybe secondly, who's your most favorite saint right now? Ooh. I do get to talk about Mary, though, right? Yes. Yeah, we'll do that at the very end. Yep. Okay, Okay. good. Um, so my confirmation saint is St. Claire. She picked me when I was an atheist um, and very clearly called dibs. Um, and so I was like, okay, I guess St. Claire's my confirmation saint. Got confirmed as an atheist with St. Claire as my confirmation saint. Um, we are not super close. Uh, I visit her every time I'm in Italy. Anytime someone's going to Italy, I ask them to go and visit her because that's kind of where the seed for my my um, conversion was planted. It was in front of her body. Um, for a lot of years, I was like, uh, you know, she's just like a cloistered nun. So she's like meek and quiet and gentle and pleasant. And I'm really none of those things. In recent years, I've come to realize that she was also none of those things. I mean, like meek in the sense that Jesus was meek, right? But she 
you know, snuck out of her family home, climbed down a rose trellis, ran away, chopped off all her hair so that her parents wouldn't make her come back and founded the, uh, the poor Claire's. And then she led them for decades. And she was in a decades long fight with Rome about the rule for her order. She really wanted them to live in absolute poverty to own no property. And Rome was like, that's irresponsible. You're a girl, you can't handle it. Uh, and she just refused to die until the Pope conceded. And eventually, I think it was the third Pope that she wrote to, eventually he was like, all right, fine, you can have it the way you want. And she was like, great, and died like two days later. Hmm. And so once I started thinking about her in that way, I was like, oh, you know, we, we might have actually a lot in common just because our lives are radically different doesn't mean that our personalities are radically different. And you don't have to only like the saints who are like you. I think it can be really beautiful to have relationships with saints who are very different from you, who can teach you or saints who are complementary to you. Um, but it was just really, it was helpful for me to recognize that I had sort of constructed St. Clair in this plaster image that I always found so off-putting about the saints and to realize that that was, that was a me issue. That was not a her issue that she actually was much more complex than I had allowed her to be. Wow. Yeah. For me, you know, I chose uh, St. Patrick and it was kind of just a random saint that I chose. And I've been to Ireland. I've visited some of the places important to St. Patrick in his life and his ministry, but not necessarily the individual that I feel the greatest connection to anymore. But mm -hmm. that's where I was at when I was 16, 17 years old when I got confirmed and had to choose somebody. So, um, yeah. Anyways, yeah, let's talk. And I think that's okay, too, because, you know, like, relationships with with humans that aren't in heaven change, you know? And I, I think sometimes we try and, like, hang on to them or we feel guilty that these relationships have changed. But there's real peace in just saying, like, that person was really important to me at a time, and I still really love him, and he still really loves me, and we haven't spoken in 20 years, and that's okay. You know, and so maybe to recognize that in your confirmation saint if you're not particularly fond of your confirmation saint anymore just to say you know like this is a person who really loves me even if we're not close right now and that's sure. okay yeah talking about real life friendships like i could think of people that i was friends with you know five ten years ago and maybe i don't talk to them every day or even once a year maybe i just get a christmas card from them but they still think of me and that's probably what the saints do you know they love us uh, as you said and, and they're still thinking of us and, and just like we think of them every now and again and maybe we have that reminder for me saint patrick's day oh that's my confirmation saint that's my reminder mm -hmm. every year of my confirmation saint yeah well, let's talk a little bit about Mary and your own devotion to the Blessed Mother, just as the saints were devoted to Mary. And, uh, you know, this has been a wonderful conversation that I've uh, delighted in a lot. And so, um, you know, your devotion to the saints is so real and so contagious. And that's my hope is, is that as people hear this conversation today, that they'll say, I want to learn more about the saints and I want to find an obscure saint to, to befriend and to know more about and to have as my intercessor. You know, I think that's um, actually that that's the way St. Jude became the patron saint of like impossible cases was because people thought 
they associated with him with St. Judas, you know, the Iscariot. Mm -hmm. And so people began praying to St. Jude because they thought, well, nobody's asking for his prayers. He's not being inundated with requests. Mm -hmm. And so that's how he really became this patron saint of hopeless causes. So if you find that obscure saint, probably not everybody's uh, devoted to them and they've got more time for you. One of the things, too, and this is something I took away from St. Alphonsus Liguori. St. Alphonsus mm. Liguori writes that uh, that Mary is the queen of all saints. And so when we ask the intercession of the saints, the saints actually go to Mary, and Mary brings the need before mm. the throne of God. Mm. And uh, there's a beautiful window at Saint or at Holy Hill down in Milwaukee uh, in their St. Therese Chapel, and it's our Lady, and this is a common image, you can see it, um, you know, kind of in other artistic expressions of St. Therese of Lisieux, but it's Our Lady with St. Therese and letting fall the shower of roses, so almost the cooperation between the two. And I always thought that that window really personified and expressed what it was that uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori was writing about when it came to the intercession of the saints. Yeah. So Mary is the queen of all saints, and there are many different titles that people use to call upon Mary. Is there a favorite title of Mary, or is there a title associated with the Blessed Mother that maybe you're invoking in your personal prayer right now? Yes. So I, my favorite Marian title is totally made up and is not a thing, but it's going to be because I talk about her all the time. So I, I love Mary under the title Our Lady Lover of the Word. Oh, yeah. um, and it's sort of a, a multifaceted thing. Um, the first the first sense in which I think of it is I just, I really think that Mary was the world's greatest scripture scholar. I think that, you know, the tradition is that she lived in the temple from when she was three until she, when she was 12, which, you know, one does not have to accept. Um, but certainly if she did, I think she would have been sitting there with all of the scrolls comparing and memorizing and pondering. And I think that when, even if she didn't, like she would have heard these things at synagogue and she would have, she would have thought about, you know, pondered these things in her heart. And then when the angel Gabriel came, I really think that like, after the angel leaves, she's like, wait a minute, someone grab me this scroll of Isaiah. Like, am I the virgin who would bear a child? Is that what's going on right now? And so I just think of Mary loving the word of God, loving scripture and the way, you know, as the, the first person without original sin ever, to read scripture, you know, just the insight she would have had and, and her ability to, to ponder and to sit in, in God's word. So beautiful. But then also obviously the word of God being Jesus. I saw a stained glass window of Mary in Owensboro, Kentucky once, and she was holding like a six month old Jesus. And she was just holding his chubby little finger and staring at his finger. And this window was huge in my development of a devotion to the Blessed Mother because I looked at her and I was like, oh, she's worshiping him in the way that every mother worships her infant. And I was like, I can understand that. Mm -hmm. And so it really, it, it opened up my relationship with Jesus because I could imagine what it was to adore him in his humanity because I had seen Mary do it first. And that it was something familiar to me because I have seen the way that women love their children. And so thinking of Mary as one who's just consumed by adoration of the Christ child and of, and of Jesus as an adult and of Jesus on the cross and of his dead body laid in her arms and looking at her and, and thinking, 
okay, this is what it looks like to love Jesus in his humanity with an all-consuming love. To see Mary as an image of that, as a lover of the word, shows me what it can look like. And so when I'm meditating during Advent on the infant Jesus, I'm holding him the way that Mary held him. And I'm kissing his little chubby cheeks the way that Mary kissed his little chubby cheeks. And I'm longing for his coming into the world the way that Mary did. And so um, in both facets, it's very much about looking to Mary as the one who shows me what it is to come alive in my love of, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As you mentioned that title, Mary, Lover of the Word, I can't help but also imagine that as Mary lives with the Christ child, as he grows in age and in wisdom, as he becomes an adult, that she loves every word that comes forth from his mouth and listening yes. to those words. And, and of course, we know that St. Luke says she treasured all of these things in her heart. So she treasures everything that Jesus ever said, just like we treasure the different things that our loved ones who have died uh, what they said to us, we hold on to them in our life, and we uh, really uh, treasure them and are close to them and don't want to forget. And just thinking of how Mary didn't want to forget anything about her life with Jesus. Yes, exactly. When it comes to a, a sacramental, so there are lots of sacramentals out there. People wear them, they carry them with them, they have them. Uh, is there a favorite sacramental of yours and maybe even one that might have a story behind it? Um, I mean, I wear the brown scapular and I pray the rosary. Um, I'm, I'm not really a, a things kind of a person, um, which is helpful when you live in a car. <laughs> um, I would say like there are lots of sacramentals to which I'm devoted as, as a concept, but not like a specific object. Um, the only object that I care about in my life is my Bible, uh, which I don't Lover know what it is. The, the Bible is a sacramental. Um, but like anything else in my life is replaceable, but my Bible is where I've been taking notes and highlighting since I was 13 years old. It has the, the testimony of everything the Lord has ever done in my heart is in my Bible. Um, so it's really, <clears throat> it's right here. Look, isn't it cute? There it's been it rebound twice. Um, if this, if it comes apart again, it's done. Um, so a new opportunity to build all those memories and see how I'll just God have works. to spend a year reading two Bibles simultaneously and transferring over all of my notes. And oh I, my word. I will be okay. I will be okay. How about a favorite Marian prayer? There are lots of different prayers to the Blessed Mother, the Hail Mary from Scripture, uh, prayers that the saints themselves have written. Any Marian prayer that you kind of go to uh, in a time of need or emergency? So the Memorare is kind of my go-to for petition, um, largely because of Mother Teresa's example um, of the power of that prayer. But I really love the St. Andrew's Christmas Novena. Sure. Um, and it, you know, if, if people don't know, it's hail and blessed be the hour and moment in which the Son of God was born of the most pure Virgin Mary at midnight in Bethlehem in piercing cold. And that hour vouchsafe, O oh my God, to hear my prayer and grant my desires through the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and of his blessed mother. Amen. And so it's, it's just this prayer, um, and I'm not particularly interested in the promises or, you know, like the answered prayers. For me, it's very much about taking those moments, and you're supposed to pray it 15 times a day from November 30th until Christmas, but just taking those moments again and again during Advent to focus my heart back on 
on the blessed one, you know, I always, I always picture her heavily pregnant, bitterly cold, walking to Bethlehem, um, and just trying to be still and to, to draw my heart back to Bethlehem on the lead up to Christmas. You know, T with Tolkien on Twitter made this fantastic um, little phone backdrop thing. Okay. So, like, uh, it has the prayer there, and I've put it there. <laughs> there you have it, you too. And uh, so every time, like, even if I'm in my car driving and I'm like, oh, I wonder if I have any new messages. So I look at my phone, oh, no new messages. So then I'm like, oh, there's the prayer, and I have it memorized, but it's just there now as a constant reminder. Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. we have statues of the saints that are constantly reminders of their prayers and intercession for us, you know, that prayer uh, also has been very helpful for me, you know, thinking about that hour and moment in which Christ the Lord is born in that piercing cold. So uh, I totally agree with that prayer. So how about uh, you talk about Mary being a lover of the word, you talk about your Bible being the most important possession that you own. How about uh, a Marian scripture passage? So of course, there's the prophecies in the Old Testament. Now also her words that she speaks in the New Testament any of them speak to you like that that are very meaningful i guess powerful to you um so i would say probably the presentation um the presentation of jesus in the temple in luke's gospel um luke chapter two and it's really i mean simeon is kind of the one who really gets me there i'm just thinking about his years and years and decades and actually there's a tradition that it's been centuries um that he was, do you know this story? Um, I don't know, not the legend, no. So the um, the Eastern Church has a legend that at the time when the Old Testament was being translated into Greek in the Deuterocanon, you know, there, there's sort of this um, broadly, uh, broadly known story that it was 70 different translators and every one of them translated the same thing word for word, which if you've ever done any translation work, you know that you can't even get a sentence word for word, let alone the entire Old Testament. But there was one man who translated one verse differently. Isaiah 7, 14, he said, a young woman will be with child. And everyone else said, no, it says virgin. And he was like, that's not how that works. It's a young woman. And they were like, it doesn't matter how it works. God says virgin. And he was like, no. And an angel appeared to him and said, you will not see this. You will, you will not see death until you have seen this come to pass. And this is around the year 200 BC. And so the tradition is that he waited. And he saw his wife die and he saw his friends die and his children die and his grandchildren die and his great grandchildren die. And so when Jesus came into the temple, this is like a 270 year old man who's been waiting for two centuries. Again, this is a legend and one certainly does not need to accept it in order to be within the realm of um, Catholic orthodoxy. But it's a beautiful thing to meditate on. But this wasn't just like, you know, this guy who God was like, oh, I'm going to show you something cool. This was somebody who was longing and desperate and hungering with all of the hunger of the entire world waiting for the desired of all nations, you know, and and to ponder that in Advent and his joy when Mary comes into the temple and he sees the Christ child and he grabs him in his arms and just laughs and weeps because this is not just the culmination of his life's longing, but the culmination of all that the world has always been longing from, from the moment of the fall. Uh, And then, you know, to imagine Mary who's offering her son in sacrifice, you know, there's no 
There's no account in the Gospels of Jesus being redeemed on the 30th day as non-Levitical children were, non-Levitical firstborn men were supposed to be. And maybe it just happened off screen and that's fine. Um, but maybe they didn't pay those five silver coins because he was not to be redeemed because he was the redeemer. And so Mary, in bringing him to the temple, Luke uses the word offering, which is the same word as offering a sacrifice. She's bringing him knowing that this is her participation in his sacrifice as the Lamb of God 30 years later, and she chooses to go anyway. I mean, just thinking about not just the suffering, but also the joy of the Blessed Mother mm. in saying yes to this horrible, awful, ugly, miserable thing in knowing that her heart was going to be pierced by seven swords and still going and still rejoicing and seeing Simeon and, and thinking to herself, there is going to be so much pain in the winning of this joy. Wow. But it's worth it. I've given talks, especially during Advent. I just gave one a few weeks ago that I said that, you know, Mary had, or all of Israel had this very long Advent, and then Mary had her Advent of nine months, and, and now that was all on the front end, and now we had our, now we have our Advent on the back end, that, that Christ has come, and now we wait for him to come to us, uh, either in the final coming or when we go to him at our particular judgment, and there is that sense of, for all those ages, they were waiting for the Messiah, for the Redeemer, and then Jesus uh, comes to us through Mary. So a very beautiful passage of Scripture that captures uh, that longing and expectation, especially for Simeon. And yeah, I've never heard that uh, that long legend, you know, and you know, maybe we put that in the category of those hagiographies and exaggerated exactly. hagiographies, but, but there's something there. It's telling a point, just as you said earlier, what's the point of this? And, and there we have it. How about a rosary tip? So you mentioned praying the rosary. People people often struggle with it. They're like, am I doing this well? Do I pray it right? Like, do I engage it? Do you have a rosary tip to help people pray better? Yeah. Um, I actually have written quite a lot about how I do not like the rosary, and I pray it anyway. Wow, that's um, great. I yeah, love it. because you don't, you don't have to that. like it. You don't, you don't have to enjoy the rosary. You also don't have to pray the rosary. I have to pray the rosary because I feel very convicted that the Lord has asked me to. And so I pray it, even though it is not my favorite devotion. Um, there's something really beautiful about the fact that the rosary just is good, even if you do it badly. Sure. Uh, you know, like, but at least I got through to the end. But one thing that's been very helpful to me um, in the last year or so, um, there's a tradition, I mean, you see it in Louis de Montfort, Pope John Paul talks about it. You'll see it in various different devotionals of adding a little interjection into the middle of each Hail Mary to connect you to the mystery of the rosary. Um, so I've come up with my own oh, because man, me too. I wrote a whole book published Look by our that. Sunday visitor. I call it a rosary litany, but I want to hear more about yours. Father, that's awesome. I'll send you a uh, copy yeah, if you have a stable mailing address. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you one. Um, and so for me, so, you know, you know, the idea, right? That blesses the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And so for the, and then you add in your little petition. So for um, the presentation, I say, blesses the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, the desired of all nations, oh, Holy beautiful. Mary, mother of God. I bet and I don't so have that one. I, I tend to get distracted and forget what mystery I'm doing. And I finish the whole mystery and I'm not even sure which set of mysteries I'm on. And that makes it much harder for me to really zone out. Um, and so the sorrowful mysteries right now are my favorites because 
I've, I've really settled into good little ejaculatory prayers in those. And so for the first one, I pray uh, for the agony in the garden, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, alone and afraid. Holy wow. Mary, Mother of God. Right? Right? Just thinking about fear in that. Um, and in the fourth sorrowful mystery, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, who endured that I might not grow weary and lose heart. This quotation from Hebrews 12. Oh my gosh. Um, we need to talk to the good people at Our Sunday Visitor, and we need to put your phrases in with my book and put like, yes. put, put yours in, put Meg Hunter Kilmer and have your phrases there. So yeah. like we could have a little section so helpful, after each Father. one. I, and it's, it's interesting because I, uh, there are a lot of times when I'm just like, eh, whatever, I'm just going to pray it without adding that. It only really maybe adds two minutes total to your entire rosary. Yeah. Um, but it's just, you know, the devil gets inside of that and is like, oh, but it's easier just to zip through. And you're like, but it's interesting. I actually, the better, like the more focused I am in my rosary, the less time it takes. Sure. So my when i'm praying the rosary if i'm not like really focused if i'm not adding in those little prayers um it takes me 45 minutes to an hour to pray one rosary and it's not because i'm like really meditating it's because i don't even know i'm just all over the place um whereas when i'm focused you know it's more like 15 17 minutes and sure but still i'm like ah, it's okay i don't really need to do that today like i can just get through this he's like you can can but yeah i think just committing to pray the rosary even if you don't enjoy it um not in a scrupulous way like god won't love me if i don't do this but if you feel led to pray the rosary recognizing that it's okay to pray the rosary even if it's a prayer that's hard for you and a prayer that you don't particularly enjoy like it's it's good to go to mass even if you really get distracted and you don't enjoy it and you find it very frustrating like these are good things to do objectively um, and there's a, a lot of grace in praying because it is good and not because it's enjoyable. One of the things I did uh, with the rosary litany method was I even took it to do it with the name of Mary, Holy Mary, Mother of God, the contemplating virgin, or Holy Mary, Mother of God, attentive to the needs of others. And just mm. inserting a phrase mm -hmm. after the name of Mary, especially some of them are very Marian-like mysteries, you know, the very Marian, yeah. like the queenship. How else do you do it except like Jesus crowning his mother, Jesus placing the crown on your head or whatever. But but I would I did the whole litany of Loretto, like Holy Mary, Mother of God, Queen of Apostles, Holy Mary, Mother of God, Queen of all saints, Holy Mary, Mother of God, Queen of the clergy, etc. You know, just as a way to put in those phrases to think about her queenship, for example. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I love that method. St. Louis de Montfort first proposed it, uh, not yep. first. The Carthusians really were the ones that developed it uh, with the Carthusian rosary. It was just, uh, you know, 50 Hail Marys going through scripture. It wasn't even with the rosary set of mysteries. But then Louis de Montfort really gives the full expression to it. Um, so, yeah, very beautiful. I love it. How about a Marian apparition, a favorite Marian apparition and message? Yeah. Um, I mean, probably Guadalupe. Sure. Yeah, I think I got to I think I got to go Guadalupe. Um, there's something so powerful about Mary appearing as an Aztec woman. Uh, Mary appearing to this man who's considered of no account by really everybody and saying to him, am I not here who am your mother? You know, and for him yeah. to hear 
as an Aztec man. You know, and he was already a Catholic, and so he understood, at least in theory, that Mary was his mother. But there was so much strife in all of that conquest and so much taking of the Lord's name in vain. Um, and I think so many indigenous people really thought the gospel was a European reality, which it, it has never been a European reality. It was a Middle Eastern reality, and then it was a global reality mm -hmm. very quickly. But it, even when it was predominantly European, it still was present in the Middle East. It still was present in India, still was present in North Africa. Um, but I think many of the indigenous people really were like, well, this is the Spanish God, and these are the people who treat us abominably and so their god couldn't possibly love us you know even if they had some good missionaries there was just so much pain there and for the blessed mother to come and say i am your mother and to come looking like them and saying like i'm not just the mother of the conquistadors i'm the mother of the oppressed you know i'm a, i'm the mother of everyone who turns and calls on the name of jesus mm. uh, and just the gift that that is i think to any marginalized people. Um, but then you look at the fruit that it bore. I think 8 million converts yes. in the next decade. I mean, just unreal. And they had been, the Spanish had been remarkably unsuccessful in their attempts at evangelizing the Mexican people until Our Lady of Guadalupe. And then everything changed. And it's because she came as their mother and she loved them in their suffering and their brokenness. And when she said that to Juan Diego, it's because he was actually avoiding her, right? Like he had seen her, the apparition the first two times. And then he had to go get a priest for his uncle because his uncle was really sick. And he was like, I can't go the way I went before. So I'm going to see our lady and she's lovely, but I don't have time for that. Like, I'm so worried about my uncle. And so he's like, he's trying to avoid her. And she shows up and she's like, Juan Dieguito, sweet boy. Yeah. I love you. I'm your mother. You don't have to worry that things are going to be worse because you saw me. Like I'm I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it okay and just just that consolation I think is so so touching, so beautiful that she really is coming as mother, you know, not not as queen and she still is queen, right? But she's she's coming as mother and speaking to each one of us when we feel that God is distant and we feel that we're unloved or unprotected. And she's like, oh, honey, oh, no, no. I'm your mother. Sure. Wow. And I'm going to bring you to my son. Beautiful. Yeah, that's a very beautiful message. And one really worth, you know, I, I mentioned this uh, a few other times uh, in different things that I've done, but the opening prayer, the collect at Mass for St. Juan Diego was, may we listen to the counsels of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And and when I prayed that at Mass on December 9th, I said, well, what are her counsels? What should I be paying attention to? And, you know, I I, I wrote a book called A Lenten Journey with Mother Mary. I, I looked at the Guadalupean apparition and put it on for certain days of, of the Lenten season. But um, extracting it, but I'm like, well, let me go back and reread the whole message and let me see what those counsels that Our Lady gave were and uh, how am I to live them? What do they mean for my life? And mm -hmm. it's a very powerful uh, message, apparition. I hope to make it there uh, on a pilgrimage one day. So please, God. Amen. You've been all over the world. You've traveled extensively, you've mentioned. And is there a Marian shrine? Now, of course, apparition sites are shrines, but is there maybe even a devotional shrine to a different title of Mary, for example, uh, that you've been to that that shrine left some sort of impression upon you? 
Hmm, that's a good question. There was a very tall statue of the Blessed Mother in Korea that I found really overwhelming and remarkable. I mean, like, I came up to the top of her toes. Wow. Like, I think it was probably 80 feet tall. It was... Now, did you in, go to Korea to look out for the Korean saints, or what was the purpose of going to Korea? Uh, so I was in Korea working with the U.S. military. Um, okay. So I was giving talks on military installations, and I didn't really have a devotion to the Korean saints at the time. Um, and I sort of got to know some of them while I was, obviously I went to all of the pilgrimage sites because I was like, while well, I'm here, but I wasn't like going to visit my friends. I was showing up at like some distant relatives houses and being like, oh, hey, you're my grandma's cousin's best friend's neighbor. Okay. You know, it's the right now thing to do. I have like a huge devotion to all of these Korean saints. And I'm like, I really need to go back and find my specific friends because we don't have a lot of relics. Um, because many, I mean, there was just so much martyrdom and they were largely like thrown into the sea afterwards. But we do have a lot of shrines, sure. um, Catholic shrines in Korea. They're really, 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 really incredible. Um, but as far as a Marian shrine, I've been to Fatima and I've been to Lourdes, um, which are have have some really beautiful elements to them um mm -hmm. and also have some churches that were built in the 70s yes yeah yep. um which is not my preferred time period for liturgical architecture sure uh, <laughs> but um where did i i went to one in belgium was what? it a marian apparition site you think was it boring was it Bano? uh notre dame uh, de Foix? Notre Dame de Foix is not a Marian apparition. That's just a, yeah, a devotion. Was it Scarpenhuvel? Do you think it was an apparition of our Bano sounds familiar. Bano sounds familiar. Was ba it? Yeah, but no. With uh, appeared to a girl and then and Maria then Becco got married and then got divorced. Uh, Maria Becco, age thirty. Yeah, apparition maybe when she was thirteen. There was a statue of Mary and there was like a spring of water around her. She said, "Let all yeah. the yeah, yeah." It's a you know when you go to Belgium, there's two Marian shrines. There's Barang, which occurred November uh, third, November twenty ninth to January third. 1932 33 um so 33 apparitions and then 14 less than 14 days later like january 15th our lady begins appearing in Bonneau, belgium to mariette becco and her family just believes that that like this is preposterous that she is just faking it that she wants to imitate the children of borang and and uh, but eventually they they come to believe the fact. Well, no, uh -huh. this is real. And Mary walks. Uh, she she walks Maria Becco like kind of beckons her and says, you know, sh come with me. And so she follows Our Lady to that spring and she says, I set this spring apart for the healing of the nations or something along those lines. But a very beautiful message. But going to those two places I, when I was in Belgium, Borang and Bonneau. Borang happens to be like my favorite Marian apparition. But okay. um, but going to Bonneau, it was like I. Just describe it as Catholic Walt Disney World at Bono, but Borang was just like, you know, kind of the the not the greatest amusement park. If you're using the amusement park, it's like uh -huh. the, the county fair of amusement okay. parks, you know, okay. type thing. So, but a beautiful message and the simplicity of the messages Mary spoke in Borang and in Bono, just a uh, very beautiful and one yeah. uh, that we all need to hear. Uh, I'm actually yeah. hoping. Oh, wait, to... I take it back. Nazareth. No? 
Nazareth. Nazareth. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Nazareth is definitely my favorite. Sure. The home yeah. of Mary there. You know, yeah. I have a funny story about that. Uh, if I was down in my other office, because uh, you need to have like three offices in your house, but um, I have a little rock that fell from the house in Nazareth. So I was there, I was praying there, and it was another friend of mine and I, we were like there, it's nine o'clock at night, and all of a sudden this rock just tumbles from the ho little house. And my friend grabbed it and he's like, I think this is meant for you. And so I put it in a little reliquary and everything. I, w I witnessed it fall from the house wow. of the Blessed Virgin. So I have that little uh, relic there. That is um, cool. But I loved Nazareth. And it's interesting that you mentioned Nazareth. Uh, I felt like out of all the places in the Holy Land, beside Ein Karim, that was another one I just fell in mm -hmm. love with, the Church of the Visitation. But in Nazareth, it was so prayerful it was so mm -hmm. quiet they had adoration they they had sung prayer and i just really felt like this was the place where you could really enter into prayer mm -hmm. in the holy land yeah. and it was a very I felt the same way in loretto have you been to uh, the shrine of our lady of loretto no i haven't but i saw your tweet the other day about the american contribution to loretto and the astronaut yeah, that, was a little, that was a little bit embarrassing yeah. um but well, the nothing like nazareth You've yeah. seen the American contribution in yeah. Nazareth, which mm -hmm. is like uh, mm -hmm. awful. So I, I yeah, don't know who puts the Americans in charge of putting something <laughs> in these holy places. I don't know. But Loretto has the same kind of feeling when you go inside this house. And it is much more off the beaten path in Italy as well, um, at least for American tourists. But it just, it feels so still. And that's one of those things, you know, that... The legend is that angels carried Mary's house and you're kind of like, okay, maybe they did or maybe they didn't. It doesn't really matter. You know, like the point is not Mary touched this brick. The point is for centuries, Christians have been coming here and praying here and it speaks yes. to us of who yeah. the Blessed Mother is and who the Holy Family is. And so just like sitting inside their little house in Loretto and imagining, and even if it's like just pure imagination and there's no connection at all to the bodily presence of the Holy Family on earth, like just having that spot where St. Therese imagined and where St. John Bosco imagined and where St. Teresa of Avila imagined, you know, like hundreds of incredible yeah. saints have gone there and just sitting and, and praying for the Lord to make your heart a home, like the home of yeah. Nazareth. Wow. And, uh, you know, as you talk about the fam Holy Family's home in Loretto, uh, everyone seems to know the story of Chiara Luce Badano, of course. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talked about Blessed Carlo and feeling, you know, when when he became so popular that you kind of lost a friend in a sense. And that's how <laughs> I felt with Blessed Chiara Luce Badano. Okay. I, be I became very familiar with the Focolare movement and Chiara Lubick, the founder of the movement. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Chiara Luce is this teenage member as as you know, has bone cancer, dies, um, offers her pain and suffering. I actually have a, 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 an essay I wrote that is included in the documents for her canonization on her what? redemptive spirituality. Yeah. So I was writing a paper on redemptive spirituality and suffering, and I asked the Focolari movement if they could send me some documents about Chiara Luce. And so mm -hmm. I wrote my paper. I ended up sending it to them. And... 
and they they said, would you be would it be okay if we include this in the documents because you have really given a lived expression to the spirituality of Chiara Luce Badano, and so. Uh, one of the things, so Chiara Luce introduces me to the founder of the movement, Chiara Lubick. And I'm like, well, I want to read the writings of Chiara Lubick. And I did. And she had that same profound experience at the home of Loretto. Um, she, uh, yeah, I, I wish I had the writings in front of me. They're, they're literally on this bookshelf right behind me. But um, I quote them in a paper I wrote for the Mariological Society of America. But there's the quote of her experience there at the holy home in Loretto. And mm-hmm. it is a prayerful experience. And lots of people, yourself and, and saintly people like Kiara Lubick, please, God, may mm-hmm. she be a saint one day, that uh, she had that same experience. How about a, a Marian book recommendation? Many people have written books about Mary. Which one would you recommend people to read? The Read of God. Yeah, Carol Hauslander. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, Haley Stewart loves uh, The Read of God. And I so recommended many other it to too. her oh, wow. like three times before she finally read it. Yeah, so anytime people are talking about it, they're like, oh, I got this recommendation from Haley. And I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> it was you. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so she good. has a beautiful section about Advent and Our Lady in that book. I've only actually mm-hmm. listened to the audio version. I have the the print version. Ave Maria sent it to me when it came out for free. But um, yeah, so that that's a a book that I should actually read the physical book and take mm-hmm. notes and everything like that. Yeah. How about lastly, when you go to Mass on a Marian feast day, a favorite Marian song that you hope to hear? Ooh. Um. That's a good question. I'm not particularly enamored of the ones that they play every single time. Yeah, immaculate um, man, the, the the standard sandwich of yeah. hymns, uh, mm-hmm. sing of um, Mary, and, and yeah, yeah mm-hmm. um, there's a Marian hymn that I'm very partial to that I've never heard in the states, um, and I don't actually even know all of the words. But I was in Edinburgh years ago, and I was just feeling all the feelings and. I was praying and I was like, Lord, I'm just wandering. I'm just wandering. And they started up this hymn that's very popular in Ireland and Scotland. Um, And they sang, Mother of Christ, star of the The sea. Pray for the wanderer, pray for me. And so to hear. Oh my gosh. Like, when do you hear the word wander in mass? Like, it's not, and and it's not a word that I really have prayed with before, but I just felt so strongly, like, I'm just wandering, I'm just wandering. And Mary was like, okay. I think you need to sing it one more time. You need to sing that refrain one more time without me hurting it. (laughs) It goes, mother of Christ, star of the sea. Pray for the wanderer, pray for me. And so Stella Marius is actually my uh, Marian title I didn't invent that I have the strongest devotion to because in that moment, it was one of one of the first moments in my life where I was like, oh, she sees me. She sees me. You know, wow. like, it's That's- always been hard for me. Um, I spent a lot of years just like trying to believe the things I have to believe to be Catholic. And I was sort of in the middle of a year. I called it my year of Mary. I wrote an article on Mary every single week for Alatea because I was like, I am just going to love her. Like, I am going to do it. Um, And 
And so in that, in the middle of that year, um, maybe that was the next year. Anyway, I heard this song and it was the first time that I was like, oh, this isn't like just a relationship I'm obligated not to find heretical. Like you, you love me and you see me and you, I might not be holding your hand, but you are standing right next to me with your hand out ready for when I'm going to take it. You know, it's just really, really, really beautiful. Yeah. Wow. That is a crazy, beautiful story of God's providence at work. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm familiar with the song. I, I've worked in Lourdes as an auxiliary confessor. And so um, one of the one of the ladies there, I can't remember her name now. It's been a few years since I've been, uh, but but she's from Ireland and she moved to Lourdes and she she sings all the music there. And and that's one of the songs that she'll often lead. And mm -hmm. so I could I could hear it just in my mind as you were saying it. So well, that's your Marian profile. This has been our conversation about the saints. And for the record on how they love Mary, this is the longest episode that I have ever recorded. And I'm it was like just that. it was just such a lovely episode, though. So I just can't uh, get over it. Um, all the stuff that you've given me to think about. And I'm sure that this is one that I'll go back to and I'll re-listen and uh, kind of just dwell on some of the points that you brought forward. So thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Father. This has been lovely. Yeah, it's great. It was like a, we've never talked in person before or uh, Zoom or anything like that, but <laughs> just seemed like a conversation among friends. And so, and, and it was a conversation among friends about our friends uh, in heaven. So... Yes. Great. Well, thanks. So, well, actually, before I let you go, how can people find you on the internet? Yeah. So your easiest approach is to Google Hobo for Christ. Um, you can also search for Meg Hunter Kilmer, but Hobo for Christ will stick in your mind. Um, and then you can find all of my social media on my website. So I'm not super active as a blogger, um, but I'm very active on Instagram and Facebook and a little bit less so on Twitter. Um, and also, if you're interested in making some saint friends, you can go on Alatea and search for me, um, or you can go on my Instagram and look at the um, story highlights on my Instagram page. You'll see black saints, Asian saints, Latino saints, oh, wow. and indigenous saints, um, just to kind of broaden the representation of the body of Christ, which is so diverse. Well, that's great. And one of the things I'll do is I'll be sure to put a lot of those links into the show notes so people can find them quite easily and be able to follow you and find you there. And I love the year of Mary that you talked about. So I want to go and read everything you wrote about the Blessed Mother for 52 weeks and, yeah. and see what I find there. Do you know what year that was? Um, ooh, that's a great question. I know I had a hashtag. I think it was hashtag a year with Mary. Okay. Um, let me check it real quick um, and see see if that's what it was. Yep. So it would have been 2018. 2018. Yeah, I'm going to probably go through and maybe even print them out and read them all and see, awesome. see how it goes. So, well, that's great. I love it. And I'm so happy that the Holy Spirit and the good Lord brought us on Zoom Amen. today to record this episode for How They Love Mary. And uh, I'll keep following you online and encourage everybody else to do so. So thanks so much, Meg. Wonderful. Thank you, Father. God bless. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you'd like to follow me on social media, I'd encourage you to do so. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at FR Edward Looney. You can visit my website, edwardlooney.com, to learn more about my books and to acquire them from the publisher. And if you have enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor and review the podcast. 
rate it on Apple Podcasts, and write a review because that will help others to find it as well. Until next time, may we remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.